0: Pub Scout podcast with me, Emily Einelander, and me, Corinne Kalaski. Hello! We're mapping the frontier between traditional and indie publishing. And either today is Halloween or tomorrow is Halloween, but either way, it's great. We're excited! <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> and uh, today we have Michelle Dieter with us, who is throwing a Halloween party tonight. That's
1: right. And we're all invited. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Manchester anytime, folks, anytime.
0: I hope you're en route right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Don't accidentally go to the Manchester in Jamaica or the Manchester in New Hampshire. We're in the one in England, just so you know. And then just keep asking for the American redhead. I'm sure you'll get to my house eventually.
0: That is, is, that, um, is that a good thing, that that's how you're found?
1: Well, I don't know. I don't think that I'm that famous, but my friend came over from New York, and he's like, I bet you the guy that sells you train tickets and the person that's at, you know, the supermarket whatever, I bet they remember you as the little American. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, I imagine, like when you were in China, that's definitely like how people knew you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> the red headed American <laughs> who can't stop talking, but <laughs> oh. they didn't want you to <laughs> all right. Michelle Dieter is a Chinese to English translator and interpreter. She got started translating short stories in two thousand and thirteen and translated her first book in two thousand and fifteen. Since then, she has translated a second fiction book to nonfiction books and a whole bunch of boring documents that help pay the bills. Her greatest achievement was the co-translation of Paper Tiger with Nikki Harmon. She lives in Manchester in a 100-year-old house. (laughs) (laughs) Woo!
1: That's the most Halloween detail I could think of. I don't have any cats. That would be my publishing cred, but unfortunately Um, I'm allergic.
2: Oh, Um, that's all right.
0: I also see here that you love translation slams. Do you care to explain what that is?
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely.
0: For us us plebs.
1: Yeah. Translation slams are this kind of event that's really fun to hold at either a literary festival or at like a university college kind of campus. And what you do is you pick a text, it can be in any language, you know, just depending on your translators, and then you pick two translators to do the same section. So I did this once in Sheffield, we had a part of a short story, and two of us translated it from Chinese to English. And then you um, put both of those translators on stage, they both read their translation aloud, and then you kind of pick it apart why people made these decisions or those decisions. And if anybody in the audience wants to ask, oh, you put this in simple past tense and you decided to keep this in present tense, why did you do that? Or, oh, that's so interesting that your jacket is brown and that jacket is yellow. Like, does that mean that the color for brownish yellow is kind of a fluid concept in Chinese? Why, yes. Um, So it's a really good way to um, kind of promote a book or promote an author if you have that or just help people realize that when it's uh, storytelling, there's different ways to tell the story, even though both of them are very like well-produced translations. You're not trying to choose which one is right actually, and it's not a competition. It's just showing people how the art works and uh, giving them a chance to interact with the translator when otherwise they might just read the work and not have a chance to ask questions.
0: So it's not the sort of slam where people are booing and cheering and that's like yelling "Oh, burn!" Or yeah, okay. that's what people at slams do because they're yeah. cool. It's
1: <laughs> I mean, not you like could, a rap like, battle snap your fingers or something if you were into it. that's as far as it goes.
0: <laughs> so, um, listeners, if you, um, if you have deduced from this uh, description, we are entering the world that not a lot of Americans talk about a lot, which is literature and translation. And we are woefully ignorant. Um, a lot of us are of uh, that here in the States. But I think a lot of us are trying to get better about it. And Michelle is going to help us.
1: I think as long as you're enthusiastic, we can get you totally on board and ready to go with just one episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you'll be completely converted. All you'll be doing is reading and translation after. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That'd be kind of impressive. That'd be amazing.
0: (laughs) We would credit you completely.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: All right. Well, um, tell us about your career as a translator and interpreter and how you got into it in the first place. Just the entire translation interpretation thing, not necessarily books.
1: Sure. Um, I didn't know that I wanted to learn Chinese until I got into college. That was offered as like a 101 class. And from my first class, I realized, oh, my God, this is it. I love Chinese so, so much. So I did Chinese for four years, and then I went to China, which is where I met you, Emily. Yeah. Um, That changed my life. And um, I kept studying Chinese. I uh, went to study Chinese specifically for translation and interpreting in England, and then I I ended up staying in England. So it's just something that once I realized how difficult and yet really cool Chinese is, I thought, oh, this is it. This is what I want to do.
0: So the difficulty was part of the allure
1: yeah it's so hard that nobody else can do it and so you feel really good when you get a single thing right
2: <laughs> that makes complete sense
1: i mean i, mean, I often tell people <laughs> i i tell people that um Chinese isn't that hard, but I want people to think that it's hard, so I don't have competition in my job.
0: <laughs> if I recall you were like the most encouraging Chinese isn't that hard person that I knew other that who wasn't a Chinese person when we were living there.
1: I mean, yes, no you know I, I think anybody who wants to try Chinese, please do, and it's amazing, and even just learning a couple of sentences can be really, really fun, but mm. um
0: but it takes a lot of work to make it look effortless.
1: <laughs> or to use it actually like in a kind of office environment, because otherwise you just, um, you don't get past like the restaurant level. And that's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, when, when did you turn from just general translating or uh, office, office translation to uh, literature? And uh, how did you fall into those opportunities or, or pursue those opportunities?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, there aren't a whole lot of opportunities to get into literature translation, but it wasn't something that I I knew I really wanted to do either. It's just when I got to England, there was a woman called Nikki Harmon who was hosting these uh, translated fiction events in London, and I just wanted to be part of that scene. I was like, this is so awesome. So I went down from Newcastle, took like a three-hour train to just be a part of these translation little, you know, fun workshop things. And Nikki Harmon was so awesome. She said, how about you put some translated short stories on our website, Paper Republic. And then after that, I started to kind of build a portfolio. Um, Another shout out actually has to go to Amazon Crossing because they're a beast. And so they give opportunities to a range of translators with different experience. So someone from Amazon Crossing just emailed me, not even sure how they found me and said, "Uh, we're getting books with your language pair on a platform. If you're at all interested, you know, just put a bid up there and maybe we'll choose you. So that was my first book. Yeah.
0: What's Amazon Crossing?
1: Amazon Crossing is a part of, uh, it's like a publisher for Amazon. Amazon. I assume it's not their only publishing house, so I think the word here is imprint. Uh, Uh (laughs) Uh Aha, you got it. (laughs) Yes, Um, but they only do (laughs) translated fiction, so um, I think every year they publish a whole, whole lot like more than any traditional publisher and uh, just about every language pair you can think of. So for Chinese, it's um, a major source of new translations every year, and they also specialize in genre fiction, so sometimes you get like a university press, um, translating stuff, but they usually choose something that's, uh, got literary merit or is a classic. And I kind of really admire Amazon crossing for doing stuff that's just popular or going to be a good story rather than something that's stood the test of time for the past 50 years.
0: Ah, the way we've always done it.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm.
0: So you had a good experience with Amazon.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, there's many sides. It's a it's a Hydra, maybe. There's a lot of we heads of com- it that we want to cut off. <laughs> you know
0: that we've compared it to that before, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Oh, I didn't even think of that. But you used the word Hydra, which was a lot more eloquent. I think we just said a many-headed snake or a many snake yeah.
1: head. <laughs> There's just one particular head that's been really nice to me. So if we can keep that one. (laughs) Because also, I mean, the really tricky part is with this book translation stuff is that um, it's a risk for the publishers, but it's also a big risk if the translator is doing it individually. You know, because for three months, that's your main source of income. So you're really hoping that money comes in. But I've, uh, you know, I've worked with Chinese clients that just never ended up paying me. And unfortunately, even Chinese translators deal with that problem, whether they're going Chinese to English or English to Chinese. So the bar is low. (laughs) You pay on time. You're considered an incredible publisher, you know? Oh, my God. And at first, they gave royalties like after like a threshold of $50, I think it was. The translator got their royalties. And now they just come, even if it's a check for like seven cents, which is what it normally is for me each month. Uh, it just comes through to my bank account. So Hmm. I think at least for Amazon Crossing, every year they're doing a little bit better. And the people who know how to uh, negotiate or lobby for what translators deserve are getting what they deserve. So it's pretty good.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I am going to have to look into that more because I am completely ignorant of that.
1: Well, next March, keep March free, and we'll okay. go to the London Book Fair together. Oh and my God! Me, Amazon Crossing—they have a whole stand. It's actually pretty cool. <laughs> oh wow! You could do that, right? You could come.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just hop on a plane. <laughs> yeah, that's no problem. <laughs> or be like climate friendly and and get a canoe or uh or, oh my a, God. or a kayak
1: oh my god well at that point you could have buzzfeed pay for your ticket right like
0: oh that's right and then i'll just get there and be like
1: live streaming basically i, the whole I have
0: nothing to prove
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: that's our plan i'm glad we figured this out yeah i no
0: more planning necessary <laughs> <over>. exactly huh <laughs> All right. Well, you were talking about um, about Nikki Harmon. And so she, uh, it, that's she, right? Nikki yes. Harmon? Okay. Yeah. She was the first um, author that you worked a full book with, right? Paper Tiger?
1: Yeah. Paper Tiger is nonfiction. It's written by a guy called Xu Zhiyuan. And he's um, he pushes the envelope a little tiny bit. He criticizes the Chinese government a little tiny bit. So the book was published in Taiwan, actually not in mainland China. Um, But Nikki is the one that everybody knows, right? In London, it's like, oh, Nikki, will you translate my book? Will you translate my book? And she was the one that said, how about we do a co-translation? And so she convinced the publisher that even though she does British English and I do American English, we could mesh our styles and you wouldn't be able to tell which parts she did and which parts I did. Wow. So that she really gave me a leg up. That also was the best selling book of anything I've ever translated. So it was, yeah, uh, kind of a stepping stone for my career for being like a well-known person that does this.
0: That's a really, uh, that's a really cool move on her part to yeah, give they're... you a leg up like that.
1: Mm-hmm. She's such a helpful mentor. She's done that a few times right now. She's doing a fiction book with another translator who's based in Japan. Um, but one's Canadian English and one's British English, and it's still gonna be fine, you know, once you've got the editor and since both translators look at the other translators part, um, you can pretty easily smooth things out. And you have a second pair of eyes that's more likely gonna catch mistakes. So in some ways it's actually a great approach. Yeah. A lot yeah. a lot more security, I would think. Yeah, and you know, someone to commiserate with if you have
2: a <laughs> <the> difficult <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> But yeah, she's just
1: uh, she's so helpful to the kind of promoting the community and getting people out and talking about translation. So I'm so glad to have her.
2: All right, I'm gonna (laughs) jump in here and ask a question. Go for uh, it, if that's all right. Okay, Um, how did your translation work bring you into contact with the book community?
1: Um, so I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but I only get sporadic contact with the book community.
2: I think it's Um, both, but go on.
1: (laughs) Double-edged sword. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, most of my publishers have been based in the U.S. Some of them have been based in the U.K. Mm -hmm. Um, So that does mean that, you know, going into somebody's office is not feasible at all. Sometimes I'll talk to the editor. I assume it's the editor that chose to translate the book, Um, you know, like over Skype Oftentimes it's just over email, Um, but more recently I was at a symposium hosted by Leeds University, and the genre fiction editors for Head of Zeus, which is um, a medium-sized publisher in the UK, uh, they came over. So we had Nicholas Cheatham and Laura Palmer just telling us about translated genre fiction from their perspective, because they've done The Three-Body Problem and a couple of other books that were surprisingly successful, like... Real okay, for a translated book, very successful.
0: <laughs> yeah. Where where did the
1: three-body problem come from? Um, that was originally in Chinese, yeah. Came from China.
0: Oh why didn't I know that? I knew about the book, but I didn't know it was um from China. That's great.
1: It was um it was first published by Tor in America. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And then uh Head of Zeus bought the rights, which is so confusing to this uh brain of mine. <laughs>
0: Because it was bought from Tor instead of from a Chinese publisher or
1: Or just the fact that the English rights can split like that I don't know how many languages can do that But they bought the rights and then they basically didn't change anything to the book I think they just changed the cover and that was it I think
0: sometimes they do that with Spanish language rights too, Ooh. with, uh, with, uh, South America versus Spain, but I don't think that happens very often. I think they usually go by language, um, rather than country, but I don't know. I, I think that one book that Corinne and I worked on did sell to an individual South American country, um, uh-huh. without uh-huh. them having full Spanish language rights. So I, yeah. I guess like it happens really, sometimes, yeah. but it's weird. <laughs>
2: yeah, I should know this too. I worked in foreign rights for like a year and a half, like a long time ago, but oh. I unfortunately do not remember. <laughs> What the deal is with this either, so I think yeah. they try to
1: keep it murky, though. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yes. probably.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, to negotiate and right, to,
2: whatever yeah. makes the publisher the most money, you know, and <laughs> if that means like, yeah, being unclear about it, then that's what they'll do. So.
0: Their offer is bigger than yours, that's right.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, 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 no more than that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I haven't negotiated in a while.
2: (laughs) I bet you're a great negotiator, though.
0: I mean, Michelle was there.
2: Oh Oh, well, yeah. Does she drive a hard bargain? Because she seems like she would.
1: Oh, I'm one of those um, surprise. Like, before you know it, all of a sudden, I'm doing the project like, uh, not quite ninjas, but you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Secretive types.
1: Oh, you're on the team now. Oh, I'm so glad.
0: <laughs> Hi, I just smiled my way into this and now I'm going to own all of you. Bingo. That's my strategy. That's it. Girl, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it couldn't happen to a nicer person. <laughs> um, I'll take the next one, too. Yeah. Um, it's like, uh, that makes sense. Um, I like leaving spaces for you, correct? I appreciate that. Thank them. Thank you. Um,
2: all right. What do you think people who work in the publishing world should know about book translation?
1: Um, I think there's, um, there's a couple of things that you should know. So one thing is that a lot of translators are really ridiculously committed to the book. So if you give us time and resources, we could even win awards. So back to that three-body problem that won the Hugo Award. Oh, wow. Is, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a huge deal. For sci-fi, that's really prestigious. Mm-hmm. Um, or even Paper Tiger, the book that I worked on, won the English Pen Award.
2: Oh, my God. Wow.
0: Congrats. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Thank you. That's
1: wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, these relationships can work well both ways. It's just a question of kind of communicating to the other side, figuring out what somebody needs. Um, When you're talking to someone like Ken Liu or like Nikki Harmon, who are both really big translators in the Chinese to English field, they know what they need. They will get what they need by negotiating for it, no problem. But if you're working with a baby translator, they might need to understand that, okay, there's going to be the editor that talks to you about the book and then there's going to be maybe another editor and then there's going to be the line editor slash proofreader person, um, you know, maybe explaining that you're going to turn in the book and then later we need you to do the kind of checking of stuff and you don't get paid for that. Like all that just needs to be kind of explained in advance Mm -hmm. because most translators don't realize how many people will be involved in getting a book to press, basically. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And some newbies have really grandiose ideas, like I want my name on the cover, which, ah. which is awesome. You know, It again, is
2: awesome. It should be, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's awesome. It's not like, always
1: possible, yeah, right? Like, right, right. Depending on the publisher. So yeah. for, for the book that got the award, like my name's not on the cover. It's still on the title page. It's fine. And there's two translators. Like that would just be a lot of space. Yeah. So I get it, you <laughs> know, whatever. I'm like, it's fine. Um, I mean, there unless is a...
0: what, what's his name? Uh, his last name is Ruben. He does Murakami's translations. Like I think he's one uh... of the J is a J J Ruben, I think, or is that a yeah. music producer?
2: So he gets his name on the cover.
0: He gets his name on the cover. Sometimes oh. he's like <laughs> been his translator for many, many books. And uh, he's think... like wh- the only one other than you, Michelle, who I can kind of name off the top of my head. <laughs> only last name though, apparently it's a dude. It's fine. Yeah. I've heard, actually, I heard him talk on this podcast called 88 Cups of Tea and um, he's delightful. And he was like you, Um, he didn't learn Japanese until he got to college and then he just fell in love with it and became super absorbed. And he wasn't even like starting college. He was about halfway through and then discovered it um, and stayed longer so he could complete a Japanese degree. So Yeah, it just kind of seizes you, I would imagine.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I mean, for myself, like the first time I published a book, I just felt so, um, I felt the sense of accomplishment and so proud of myself and I wanted to tell, you know, my family and everybody. Um, So I think that translators, like once they're on board, they're really excited and they do want to work with the publishers. Mm -hmm. It's just the issue of um, maybe not necessarily knowing where to put their energy so, you know how, Corinne, you've mentioned that sometimes an author doesn't know how to promote themselves. Oh, yes. <laughs> Translators don't expect to have to be involved with promotion. And to sure. be fair, um, an author kind of needs to earn money from the book over a longer period, I would think. Yes. But the translator, mm-hmm. um, you know, like 99.99% of their payment comes in advance. And that's not tied to anything like an author's advance. Right. Um, So they kind of assume that they're done at that point. And it's rare that you get a a translator that's like, oh, hey, let's do translation slams for this. Let me do interviews or, you know, let's see if the New York Review of Books wants to talk to me because maybe the author doesn't speak enough English to promote that book in the other language. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just all stuff that, you know, you put on the table and you see what you can manage. Beijing Beijing didn't do so well because it wasn't promoted partially Um, also though it was compared to the great Gatsby which I think is just not a good comparison title (laughs) Uh, let's roll it back Uh, a little
0: bit what what book is this
1: (laughs) oh so my very first book is called Beijing Beijing okay it's very raunchy it's um do you know Henry (laughs) Miller
2: Yes. Yeah. Oh, God. Yes. Uh huh. So sure Feng
1: Tong is basically trying to be Henry Miller. Oh. Um, if I knew that before <laughs> I started the book, agreed to the I'm book, so maybe sorry. I would have yeah. said this isn't no. the book. For me. <laughs> but it's so- the first chapter was funny, and he is a good writer. So you know, I did the whole thing, no regrets. The only thing is, when I finished, I was like, Dad, um, maybe don't let Grandma read this book. Oh <laughs>
0: man. Wow. Um, is, was that a mainland China book? Was it published there first?
1: Yes. Yeah, it was. Cool. And so there's nothing, you know, political about that book. It's just um, a schmuck of a guy going around in Beijing and trying to learn medical stuff because he's a med student.
0: And but also, like, have a lot of sex.
1: And a little right? chauvinistic and whatever, you know. Yeah. I had a great conversation with students who read the book for their class. I couldn't believe it was assigned. Um, But they had these questions like, you know, um, why did you choose this book when actually it seems to kind of promote chauvinism and stuff? And it's like, did you ever think about making changes? Or did you talk to the author about parts? And that's that's a really good and serious question. So, I mean, the first answer I had to give was just, you know, it was my first book. I needed to get myself out there. And I didn't realize until halfway through, but I knew once I have a full book published, then other books are going to follow. If I can't finish my first book, then maybe there will never be a second book. Right. right. And um, the other thing that's kind of important um, is that if this is what the author says, you can't sanitize it. That's not the job of a translator. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So even if they're using the F word and, oh God, the C word, you know, okay. <laughs> um, I, I put that all in the English version, you know, it's not like I'm trying to make a, a cutesy version. I want it to have the same effect in both languages.
0: Well, in that instance, I would imagine you're like, well, my name's
1: not on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, my name <laughs> is on the cover of the book. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah
1: but again no regrets you know i think he did what he did for a purpose mm-hmm. and he admits that if he ever had a kid he's not even sure if he would want his kid to read this book
0: <laughs> Wow, his kid
1: would realize what a schmuck he is
0: oh my gosh oh they'll, they'll realize it eventually yeah. <laughs> well he's fine so we he's all do i have a kid so it's,
1: <laughs> it's all set
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i imagine at one point in life if if we were like if I were to have a kid Corinne if you were to have a kid mm-hmm. like they would at some point realize we were schmucks Yeah,
2: <laughs> I think everyone realizes that about their parents at some point it's just a question of time you know? <laughs> just and when. what
0: kind yeah. and yeah. what variety of schmuck <laughs> yes, are you exactly are you yeah. a Henry Miller schmuck <laughs> <laughs> that's the one oh that's funny
1: Oh, <laughs> I don't remember where we were, but anyways, yeah, I think that the this, the main takeaway is uh, try to communicate more with your translator and mm-hmm. figure out if they need help because they won't know what to ask for. All right. Yeah.
2: Um, what do you think people who work in American publishing should know about global literature?
1: Um, I guess the trickiest part is that nobody knows what sells. <laughs> sure.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, someone tried recently to um, kind of sum it up in a few words, and it's like usually you want a book that has a little bit of the um, source culture, so a little bit of a Chinese flavor in my case, but also has some universal themes, you know, like family or like revenge, so that anybody can jump into the story, but you do feel like you're taken to a new place.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But that's, I mean, so broad that that doesn't really help you make any decisions. Right. So I think the thing to be aware about if you're working in acquisitions, say, or just, you know, if if you're interested in promoting translated literature is that everybody is working on limited resources and we're making decisions without the full information. Like it takes me four weeks to like four months to finish a whole Chinese book Therefore, I don't know what's popular. I don't know exactly what I like when it comes to Chinese literature. You know, I have to rely on friends or kind of read around a little bit. And in most cases, I wait for the book to come to me um, because it's just too expensive for me to try to sit and find a Chinese book that I like and then try to negotiate rights and all that by myself.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah.
1: And that's the case for most translators. We have one exception. Her name is Helen Wong and she uh, did a deep dive on Chinese literature uh, for children. So she like read all top 20 books and she made this really cool PowerPoint about it, realized that this one author who was, you know, a really big name in China would actually be pretty suitable for an English translation. Went ahead and set that up, and that won the Hans Christian Andersen Award.
2: Oh, damn. Oh, my God. That's great. amazing. Yeah. And then
1: off of that, she gave speeches at the London Book Fair in China, like all over the place. Yeah. And the best part is her real job is at the British Museum. Oh. <laughs> like, she's this lovely British lady, and she's actually super great at translation, but it's not enough to be your day job. Not for no. anybody. Oh, wow. So. Yeah. yeah. So.
0: So you say when she made a PowerPoint, you saw her speak at a conference or?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was actually at Leeds University again. They're putting mm-hmm. on all the cool events right now. Right. Um, but yeah, so some people have maybe a little bit more knowledge or some people are maybe married to somebody Chinese. And so <laughs> that right. person ends up passing along like what's popular. But even if we know what's popular, um, the rights situation is really bad in China. yeah. Um so sometimes the same books those rights get sold to multiple groups. Oh. And wow. that I think is something for the American side to be aware of that mm-hmm. it can be a big big mess and it's it's almost important for the publisher to do things from a more like official side rather than hoping that the translator can set stuff up for you because the last thing you want of course is to put a lot of energy into a project that's not allowed to publish.
2: Yes, right.
0: <laughs> Yikes. It sounds like often, uh, to me, from where I'm sitting, the way I imagined it to be, the very little I know, um, Mm -hmm. is that an editor who is managing the project would hire a translator and once the translation was acceptable, then it would be passed on. However, the way you're speaking makes it sound like the, uh, the translator almost acts as an agent or a Foreign rights sales person um, in some cases, which sounds like a lot of responsibility. Like, is that is that kind of a fluid position, or is that something that translators kind of come to expect?
1: I think that I would love to do an investigation on what the percentage is. So, for myself, one hundred percent of the six books I have translated was the publisher coming to me. Mm-hmm. And that's because I like to make money. Um, so, <laughs> so I let them figure out what books they want to translate. If they contact me now, I'm smart. I read through the book and check. I check if I like the book. <laughs>
2: yeah, after that go ahead.
1: <laughs> and then we go ahead and sign off on the contract, right? So that's the way I work. Uh, some people call it the taxi driver method, right? You just take yeah. the next one, the next project in line, no matter who they are. Um, and then there's the, I don't know, translator as advocate method. So Jeremy Tiong, who is based in New York, has translated, ooh, I don't know, maybe like eight or nine or 10 books now. And he does it the other way around. He reads, figures out what he likes, figures out what publisher might be interested in that kind of work, uh, gets permission from the author, and then sets things up from there. That's a lot of work. Um, I don't know how he survives in New York,
2: (laughs) (laughs) but he's super talented.
1: So again, I think at this point he's uh, built a brand for himself and um, he's done multiple for the same author at this point. Right. So everybody has been happy with his work and that means he gets more work. Right. Yeah, but that's so. There's there's definitely two ways to do it. I don't think it's fluid, really. I think it's either track one or track two.
0: Okay,
1: um, and not to put value on one or the other. Some of us, you know, don't know what we want to translate, and some of us know exactly what we want to translate. You know, we're uh, passionate about this particular author, or we know that this is this is the kind of story that Americans should be reading. So you know, both ways are possible.
0: So you sent me a link to something called the Society of Authors um, in the UK. Can you uh, talk a little bit more about how you got involved with them and what they
1: are? Yeah. So the Society of Authors is based in the UK. I assume there's something similar in the US. I just don't know about it. (laughs) But it's cool because it's specifically for writers um, and then they have a subdivision for translators. So that's like my main way of knowing how publishing works and what's going on in the market in the UK. And so they do a lot of things. They publish guides like, um, I don't know, how to sign a contract and how to do a um, book reading, maybe, stuff like that. They provide legal advice if you realize you're in trouble or you kind of need help with stuff. And they even give out literary prizes to young authors, to translators, all kinds of things. Um, There must be something like that in the U.S. I know that there's the
0: Authors Guild. Um, Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's the same thing, but I think it's pretty similar. They're the ones who make statements when um, there's some kind of kerfuffle. Um. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And they do that out
1: here as well. And so, again, it's like... There's only so much time I can devote to anything. So if I can just read their newsletter and see what the issue of the day is, that's really helpful to me. Mm -hmm. Or to just, you know, realize like, this is why uh, we got to be aware of this problem. I can read their kind of synthesis of the issue and be like, okay, now I know what's going on. Now I know what to ask for.
0: Yeah. Would you say that um, the... Side of Authors and just generally the uh, publishing publications and trade publications, I would say, in um, the UK are more connected with the rest of the world um, and not necessarily internal
1: um, s- solely. Ooh, you know, I'm still such a, a newbie, such a baby in this area. <laughs> I, I don't think I could compare country to country. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, do you know see know a lot the...
0: of news from other countries, though.
1: No, okay. no. It's, uh, mm, I mean, sometimes, you know, the U.S. stuff comes over just because it's the same language. I mean, we don't care. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but no, I think what's important is that they can tell you like, oh, this book came out or um, this issue of royalties has come up, this issue of, uh, you know, new format has come up. And that keeps me informed. But also, so you got to remember, most translators are – Um, individuals working at home and they have no idea who to reach out to if a contract goes really wrong or if they're about to sign a contract and they can't tell if it's good or not. So if you have something like the Society of Authors or something similar where you can just get a gut check from somebody who has experience, uh, you can get some advice, you can get someone that can lift you up when you're feeling down. I think all that's extremely valuable for people that you know, have to work from home and might feel very isolated otherwise.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's a, that's a growing trend for editors and translators and designers and people who work in book production in a lot of capacities to be isolated at home and to work for themselves. And I can see that as being an easily exploitable um, thing by the people who are um, managing the projects and doling out the out the bucks yeah exactly yeah Yeah. some some kind of unification is probably super valuable
1: yeah 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 so whoever you are wherever you are figure out what that group is and go join it Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah unionize
0: Whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's a freelancers union. I know some people who um, I think listen to the show or part wow. of it. I haven't quite listened. I haven't quite, haven't quite gotten into it yet, but I might be. Oh, they should do a
1: census. How many different jobs does, does everybody do in the freelancers union? There, they might have that. Actually, I, I can, I should arrange an
0: interview with someone.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Guys, Guys come on the show, do it. Because <laughs> yeah. there's always there's always something to learn, you know. Whether it's um, the way you combine stuff, right? So the Writers uh, Guild in the U.S. seems more specific to writers, whereas the Society of Authors kind of folds in the translators. It's like, well, you know, you're considered an author of that book, and so you can get the same advice that we do if you become a member. Yeah. So well, that's something to learn about, you know, and same thing, like if you extend to freelancers and then you can include like the illustrators of a book or something else, maybe that's advantageous.
0: Yeah. And again, we on the show have revealed an open place that we still need to explore and add to our map. <laughs> oh, very oh, good. <laughs> I'll see myself out. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: well, you sent us two copies of a book that you translated recently called The Untouched Crime, and could you say the name of the author, please?
1: Yes, Zi Jin Chen.
0: So you've been kind enough to send that to us. We're going to give one copy away. Yes. Um, so can you kind of sum up what that's about? I know it's a thriller. Um, yeah. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about it.
1: I mean, through I think um, it's, it's not... It's, uh, never mind. I'll okay. Cut that out. Cut <laughs> out. I, will, I will, don't worry. <laughs> so I th- think there's two ways to read this book. Um, you can either kind of follow it from Hui Ru's perspective. She's a young migrant worker who accidentally gets involved in a murder, and then she needs to outwit the police and figure out where she stands. Or you can read it from Luo Wen's perspective. He's um, an ex-cop, he's like a super smart forensic investigator that decides to stop working in police. And he gets involved in a murder and he's trying to help somebody and he's also trying to outwit the police. Whoa. And you gotta figure out why. <laughs> so um, I think basically depending on whether one character is more interesting to you, you can read it on either of those levels. But when you look on the back of the book, it's talking about two other people. Well, not two other people. It's talking about Luo Wen and then Professor Yen. And for myself, I don't think Professor Yen is very interesting, but it does add a good foil. So, okay, fine. (laughs) I'm guessing you
0: didn't write the uh, back cover copy then.
1: Oh, no, I was definitely involved, but I don't... uh, I don't know how to sell books and I don't know <laughs> how to say you can follow Zhu Ru or you can follow Luo Wen. These two people <laughs> okay. are trying to outwit the police. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's just, it's a really hard job. Yeah, selling books is a hard job. Mm-hmm. But, you could you say know, that funny. again, sister. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the, the crimes are set in Hangzhou and that's uh, Southeast China. And that just adds a couple of interesting elements into it. So it's a good story. Yeah.
0: And uh, how would you compare it to working on Paper Tiger?
1: Okay, so The Untouched Crime is fiction, and then The Paper Tiger is nonfiction. So those are really, that's the main way that the books are different. For fiction, you need to make it work, you know, like Tim Gunn says on Project Runway. All right! Oh, my
2: God, we finally got a Project Runway reference in here, Michelle. Thank you. Ooh, From the welcome. bottom of my heart, I mean this sincerely. <laughs> I love Tim Gunn so much. Okay, go on. No,
1: exactly. So <laughs> what I mean by that is like, yeah. if it's crime fiction, you need to hit those beads. Yeah, um, right, right. The pacing needs to work. Um, you might need to make um, little fine changes. So when I accepted that project, I read a lot of crime fiction, you know, like the girl with a dragon, dragon tattoo. Right. And I watched CSI, Las Vegas. And I'm like, okay, how does this work? as a reader, as a viewer, like, what do I enjoy? What do I find annoying? And how does the dialogue sound? You know, I have to sound like a police officer sometimes. I have to sound like a thug sometimes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And um, so then we picked up on some things that needed to change for that book. Um, For example, it was originally written as an online serial, and oh, so it would cool. be like last week in this book, this happened, or just there'd be a little bit of padding because the author gets paid by the word.
0: Ah, uh, old school. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So like L. Ron um, Hubbard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> One of the
1: most celebrated authors of our time.
0: <laughs> oh, I think god. they were
1: still at the London Book Fair, man. We gotta get oh, a photo.
0: They're at oh every my book god. Book Fair. Practice,
1: Every practice your canoeing, okay? We're going.
0: All right. <laughs> oh, okay. Wait.
1: Oh, yeah. So we changed the length of the book, just cutting out the padding that we didn't need. And then we actually made some minor changes so that the story would be more believable and just work for the U.S. audience. In Chapter 12, a character buys a six-pack of beer in the Chinese version. And that's supposed to be like, whoa, a lot of beer. Like, he must have bought it for two people. (laughs) And I told the author, I was like, I I think for an American audience, uh, you know, maybe we could make it two packs of beer. Then probably he wasn't going to finish that for himself. He wanted to share that with somebody else. And so that's what we did. We doubled the amount of beer that that person bought. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I feel incredibly seen right now.
1: I know, right? No, but this is is behind the scenes, man. Nobody else knows this but you guys right now. And now all of you. (laughs) And now all of you. And then the last thing that we changed that's interesting is um, there's a joke about um, somebody steps into an elevator with poop in it. I don't know if you got to that part.
0: (laughs) No, I'm not there yet.
1: (laughs) I had to... I had to translate the word poop so many ways. Poop, feces, and turd. Um, but it just felt very long in the Chinese version. And um, I mean, it's, it's funny, but it, it just felt really drawn out. Uh, Is it I all the... What's, it. the, what's, the uh, what's the Chinese word for turd? Shi. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's S-H-I, like all the other things. Everything oh rhymes in Chinese, right? Everything yeah. rhymes. Yeah. So anyway, so with fiction, you're making it work. And then with nonfiction, um, you kind of have slightly different priorities, even though you're doing the same kind of job. So you have to be the super duper fact checker when you're doing nonfiction. Um, As a really easy example, in the nonfiction book, in the original Chinese, there was a lot of footnotes to make sure that the reader knew what was happening and to kind of give the facts. And so in the English, we kept those footnotes. We also added more footnotes. To make sure that the UK reader or the US reader could follow and had the facts that they would need, because they might need a little bit more background. Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas Amazon Crossing has a strict "no footnotes ever" clause because they think that pulls the reader out of the story. Hmm. So Even
0: nonfiction.
1: Amazon Crossing doesn't do nonfiction. I think they only do fiction. Oh.
0: Oh. Okay. I'm sorry. I was. I was.
1: So that's fair, but anyways, yeah. like that's that's the most obvious example is that um, footnotes are okay for the fiction, uh, for the non book. Footnotes are not okay. So even if you want to explain something, you have to do it really uh, secretively. Uh, like in the fiction book, um, they're all debating, like, why would he use a jump rope as a weapon? <laughs> and I, oh I had this, <laughs> well, yeah, and I had this feeling that there might be some American readers being like, why didn't he just shoot the guy? Um, Because that really is an effective way of killing somebody. But in China, you can't get access to guns. Right. So in China, actually, the most popular weapon of choice is a knife. So I can't add any kind of footnote for that. I end up just writing just really short. Uh, I'm not going to look for it. But anyway, so just add a half of a sentence. It's surprising that he didn't use a knife, comma, since guns were uh, rare and almost impossible to find. Mm-hmm. so we can't add a footnote for that Mm-mm. but yeah for the non-fiction um you don't have like you still need to be creative because you want it to be an engaging book still but you're not going to be cutting things out you're not going to be moving things around and usually you don't have to deal with dialogue
0: you're not so- a developmental editor
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly So it's creative in a slightly different way. And then at the end of the day, you're just spending more time on the research side of things because you can't get the names wrong. If there's a quote that was originally said by an American, you need to find out what the original English was. And that's something that you just don't need to do for fiction. So it's a different division of work, I guess.
0: So there's a lot of onus on you to be your own fact checker as well.
1: Yeah. And I mean, some, some people are super amazing and they catch stuff and I don't even know how they catch it. (laughs) Um, but usually, um, unless you're working on the book with a second translator, nobody else can tell that you've made a mistake because nobody else can read the Chinese.
0: Right. Right. And the
1: author has finished the book. Usually the author is available for questions, but you don't want to pester them. So I, for the books that I've done, usually it's like 20 or 30 questions. And I got to think real hard, is this one worth bothering the author for? Um, Can I find this answer in another way, basically? yeah. Right.
0: Do you have people that you know um, from your travels who you kind of go to with issues like that?
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, (laughs) some people with maybe more of a math background or more of a um, political background, whatever it is, because, oh, I have all kinds of questions all the time.
0: I do see you uh, trying to f- f- uh, source, crowdsource answers on Facebook sometimes.
1: Yeah, so for the fiction, again, like you're trying to tell the story and keep people going. Um, and for me, for me, what that means is I want the translation to be interesting, but not so weird that they're like, oh, hey, what is that? I want them to be able to picture it. So I think, oops, the most recent one uh, was a Baxian Yi, which is a super old kind of chair. And um, one translator really, uh, translator that I respect a lot, he's like, what if you just put chair? (laughs) (laughs) That's probably actually a very effective answer because the story is not about furniture. The story is just, and then he had a dream about a cat sitting in a chair. Oh, (laughs) So we don't, you know, we want it to, we want people to know that it's a little bit bizarre that he dreams so specifically. So maybe we can say throne-like chair or wooden chair or antique chair, but we don't want to go so involved and write eight immortals chair because then some readers might be like, oh, hang on, is that important? What's, what's eight immortals? It's now what, now what, now what? So. Oh.
0: Yeah. W- I think what is eight, eight immortals? I think is
1: good for me to realize. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, it, well, that's the thing. It takes forever to explain. <laughs> it's uh,
0: I gotta know <laughs> part of Chinese
1: culture. Uh, uh, we're gonna have to look it up later.
0: Okay, I'll look it up later.
1: <laughs> but basically, um, so what I do when I ask a question like that on Facebook is just try to see how a range of different people feel about it. Almost like you know an online focus group. And depending on their answers, I can decide whether just one word "chair" is better. Or, you know, if everybody tells me, Ada Mortal's chair, that sounds so cool, you know, then I'll change it and I'll make it the confusing thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's an Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: So do you have any more plans or aspirations when it comes to book translation? And if, which I'm sure you do, if so, what are they?
1: Um, There's always stuff to do, but... um. For me, most right now, it's mostly little stuff. Yeah. So I'm interested in doing more book reviews, maybe giving talks at festivals or things like that. Yeah. And um, we'll see what comes through. It's not always something that I can plan. But in March, actually, I'm going to give a talk about translating fiction versus nonfiction. Mm-hmm. So, hooray for that. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that's that's very exciting. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also have a, a dream book that I'm holding on to. So, uh-huh. we were talking before about taxicab method versus translator as advocate method. Um, and so, I have this author that I've read and I've translated a short story of hers before. It's on Paper Republic called uh, 49 Degrees. So, you can read that for free if you're interested. Send us was, the link. Yes, I'll send you the link. Yes. Um, I just find that she's a really compelling author. She describes things in a really vivid way. And for me, her work is what I want to see in English. She's the one that gets me really excited because more often we translate male authors from Chinese. We translate people that get awards. And that's only a tiny section of uh, all the different kind of literature that comes out in China. Um, but for me, this is my first time trying to organize a pitch and trying to uh, find the right publisher that would be interested in a short story collection. There's uh, a lot of different things to figure out and get right before I go send that out. So, Emily, I might be uh, sending that along to you once I'm ready.
0: Okay, yeah. <laughs> so I'd love story to look, look at good?
1: It.
0: <laughs> <laughs> And if you don't mind, I might uh, ask around to um, to people
1: Oh my might, gosh. Yeah. Who, yeah. Who
0: might have some uh tips as well if that's okay with you.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the dream right now is as soon as I finish this second short story so I have a good sample for people to look at. Um, I wanna send that round and see if anybody's interested in taking it up. But it's awesome. Uh, it might work. Fingers crossed, we'll have to see.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean the thing that kind of popped into my mind, and I'm not sure that this is accurate, is that in uh, in the United States, when we see books coming from China, we want to read about the political situation or the history, and not necessarily like this person just wants to write a cool story right. and then have it translated yes. into English. Like, yeah, and, yeah, we should be able to read authors who just want to write about something fun mm-hmm.
1: and she's still like sometimes the characters go back in time or you know that there's a little bit of Chinese culture a lot of her characters paint in like the traditional watercolor style so there still is elements of China, but it's not that kind of book of like, oh, this is super sexy. Aren't you going to be surprised that Chinese literature is like this? Or, oh, this book is red. Now you know it's from China.
2: <laughs>
1: like, so many like tropes almost in this area of fiction. And I think we can get out of that. We can try some. Tell me more about those. <laughs> I the may have,
0: Yeah, tell me more tropes because I feel like I've probably seen them and just not even
1: registered. Yeah, so number one, don't make your cover red. Number two, <laughs> don't put anybody in a cheap haul, you know, a sam, on your cover.
0: What, uh, uh, like that
1: button-up dress. That oh, look. yeah, with the uh, high collar. That's the one. That's yeah. a trope. Um, for a while, uh, you used to just put banned in China on the cover. <laughs> oh,
2: my God. That's <laughs>
1: the government doesn't want you to read this book. That was, that was big for a while. Oh, uh, what else? Um, yeah, and for a while, every single story happened in Beijing, as if there was no other city in the whole country. Um, I think New York City exists also. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think that's the only city in the world. Excuse me.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's exactly it. So, like, for this story that we're going to give away, guys, definitely participate. Um, it takes place in Hangzhou. And there are plenty of people that have been there before. It's a fairly big city, and it's cool that it's set in the South. Like, that's kind of part of the story. But I heard recently that um, someone changed the city from the original Chinese to Chengdu. And it's like, they're not even eating spicy food, and Chengdu's known for its spicy food. Like, sometimes publishers just, um, they want to make sure that it's something that's palatable. What they end up doing is making everything look like vanilla or just look like,
0: I don't know,
1: like, yeah, just all the same stuff. And once you've read enough, you're like, I I see what you're doing. (laughs) That's disappointing. (laughs) Come on, publisher. This again? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. So those are the tropes. That's all I could think of.
0: Well, if you think of any more, just post them on the Facebook page.
1: <laughs> yeah, you do. Oh, yeah. Actually, I'll ask some people to weigh in. I'm oh, sure you can do. You could more. do one of those like listicles. <laughs> <laughs> Top twenty. I'm sure so that I'm tired played. of seeing. <laughs> oh yes, exactly. In a format that we're all tired of reading, it would be so <laughs> ironic. <laughs> really.
0: <laughs> I bet you didn't notice these things. <laughs> Turns out. Right. Click here to learn more. <laughs> it's not a clickbait headline. That's, fine. <laughs> that's just a read more link. It's fine. <sighs> All right. Um, is there anything, uh, other than that, that you would like to promote, uh, for our listeners to follow or see?
1: Oh, um, Actually, before I forget, I have one question for you guys. Oh, sure. I want to know how you guys keep track of what you've read. Because I've realized that, you know, sometimes I can't pull out a book of something. I'm like, yeah, it was a Welsh author. And that's the only detail I can remember of that book.
0: I do Goodreads.
1: You do? Uh Yeah.
0: I I don't like it as a social media platform, but I do use it as like a a aggregator. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And I... I started before it was an Amazon thing and then I feel locked I in. Well, which I know isn't as much of a problem for you, which I respect for the record. <laughs> Everybody's got to make a living and it sounds like they're, they're serving a need that um, well, I'm not sure if not I want Amazon right to know
1: everything that I've read though. Like, mm-hmm. fair enough. They, they there's, already there's know. There's pros and cons. They, they already know. <laughs>
2: know. Yeah, they're they always already now. Yep.
1: And what about you, Corinne?
2: I do the same thing. I mean, I feel like the main difference between uh, me and Emily's sort of activity and Goodreads is that she actually finishes all the books that she um,
0: <laughs> puts on there. I also and, try to give them stars and reviews. Yes,
2: and she does that. God bless her for all of them, all of them.
0: Wow. Um, well, I, I'm hypocritical in some it. ways, but that's the one way I don't want to be hypocritical. Yeah, yeah, wow. and like got a reputation.
2: I, yeah. <laughs> So I will like list every book that I'm reading, but I would say I finish about mm, 25% of (laughs) them.
0: See, I just have a list that I I mark as read and then I add it to the list that says stopped, which means I didn't finish it.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. So
0: then I can check it off the list without feeling bad, but then I'm still being like, this was a book I didn't like and wasn't interested
2: in. Right, right. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then you don't have to give it a one star review, you just kind of set it aside. Yep.
1: Yeah, well, that's, that's massive. Smart. Exactly. Yeah. I get yeah. so frustrated by people that decide to write a review after, you know, getting three chapters in and never finishing. Yeah, God. Like-
0: I, I have left a couple. Well, I think I only left one scathing one star review for dead girls. Oh, God. <laughs> but a um, lot of people agreed with me. <laughs> <laughs> in fairness. But other than you know? that, I would try yeah. to be more positive.
1: hmm. Yeah. Well, it's not even about being positive or not positive. It's like if you didn't give the book a good shake and get past the halfway mark, like, yeah. Oh
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah maybe
1: yeah. don't, don't write a review. Cause, <laughs> <laughs> but also, I don't know. I'm a sensitive, you know, baby author over here. Just <laughs> I've only yeah. done so much. And now I know not to like look at reviews. So that's yeah. Cool.
0: Uh, it, it's uh, good that yeah, you've already, that you've already done two to without getting too um, Already done too. Emotionally, too cynical. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly.
2: Yeah. yeah. That'll come later. I'm just.
0: <laughs> Sorry,
2: <of>. She's not <laughs> kidding. <laughs>
0: Creepy. <laughs> Woo. Oh, I just wanted to throw this, and I don't know if I'll keep it, but like, um, we went and saw the Blair Witch Project at uh, the kind of old historical theater in Portland last <gasps> week.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: It gets better though. The uh, producer, one of the producers was there and did a and a And this is reminding me of the author who wrote Beijing Beijing that you were talking about, um, mm-hmm. talking about his children thinking he was a schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> this this guy brought his, the producer brought his kids to the showing and they had never seen it before. And they were like, I think they were like 12. 12? Uh, pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they looked pretty young. And so it was like, these are the first times. This is the first time my kids are seeing the Blair Witch Project. So <laughs> let's all have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So I was like, I wonder how they feel about this.
1: <laughs> well, okay. That just proves again the point that eventually your kids will figure it out. Like, you can't hide <laughs> yeah. from them what yeah, kind of a schmuck exactly. you are. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I would love to have been in the car on the way home.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quiet, completely silent car. Yeah. <laughs> I have nothing to say to you. That's funny.
0: Dad, why did you torture those people?
1: <laughs>
2: uh, oh, Michelle, are you reading uh, like anything for your leisure right now, or are you just reading for work?
1: I am reading a lot for work at the moment. I'm trying to pass a test, so yeah, that's all boring. Well, that's oh. a but, yeah. But, but um, I recently finished Funny Girl by Nick Hornby. He's oh, a great, okay. Author, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I'm in the middle of, of Think Like a White Person. Have you heard of this book? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't think I have. That's a great title, though. It just came out in 2018. Oh, okay. And it's um like kind of satire irony style. So it's not fiction really. I mean, I would hope so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So drop dead funny. It is so good. So you should check that out. All right. I can send you a link. And then what's the, Oh, I've been reading a little collection of short stories. That is called somewhere this way. It's published by the fiction desk. Okay, so I know one of the authors in there, but it's just really impressed at how different they all were. And two of them had a Halloween bent, and I was like, yes, Yay.
2: very cool. <laughs> really
1: excited to read it. So right. well, those are all short books, so I find that. Sometimes it's hard to get through stuff. Or <laughs> I've recently bought four books, mostly based on recommendations from your podcast.
2: Hey. Oh, my God. That's amazing.
1: So Who's they're hell? all sitting around hoping to get yeah. um, The Feather Thief. One of your guests recommended The Feather Thief.
0: Yeah, I haven't read it, but I remember. that Was was that Artie?
1: I read it on the plane. Oh, no, it was I don't remember Francis. who recommended I'm I think sure. it was Francis. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have uh, The Library. Remember that one?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The one that burned down, the library book. Sorry, that's the, oh. one, the one that burned down. And um, uh, you can't see behind me, but there's just this huge <laughs> stack of books from all these different places. <laughs> I can't remember what the last
0: fine. You, that's all sorry. right. Yeah,
1: but yeah, I I feel you, Corinth. There's there's books like I'm running out of space at the moment. <laughs> I had yeah. Huge...
2: yeah, they're everywhere. I know. I know. They're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: but it does, it feels so good when it's like, you know what, this hour, I'm just going to open one of these. Doesn't matter which one, I'm just going to sit and read. It feels so yep. good.
0: Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you don't put too much pressure on yourself.
1: Well, well <laughs> I put I mean, my pressure on myself in other ways. That's Yeah, all it <laughs> but
0: like in terms of your reading, you're not going like, I have to finish this one and yeah, I can yeah. only like read this other thing that I want to read if I read this book first and all the... I-
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I remember the first time that I was like, I don't have to finish this book. (laughs) Because, you know, like before you'd read books for school or something, and it's like you really, really had to finish it. Yep. And now I realize (laughs) it's not working for me. I could just (laughs) put it down. Just
2: put it down. I don't know. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I only recently discovered the same thing. And it's such a liberating feeling to be like, I'm going to read 50 pages of this book. And if by the 50th page, I don't give a shit, I'm just going to put it down and not feel guilty about it. And like, I really truly don't feel guilty about it anymore. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole new world. So anyway, I totally understand.
0: (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah. 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 Not everything is for everybody.
2: No, it's true. True. Bingo. Bingo. Bingo.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, Michelle, Thank you so much for being yes, on Hybrid you. Pub Scout.
1: Yeah, it's been a complete pleasure. It's been so awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, I uh, I hope you have a wonderful day and that you have a wonderful Halloween party. Yes.
2: <laughs> oh, you thanks, send us guys. pictures of the party too.
0: We don't awesome. have to post them.
2: I
1: just want to see them.
0: I mean, if there is one that you want us to post, that yeah, would be fun. We'll do it. Yeah. Okay. I would
1: yeah. I'll do two different emails. I'll we'll do the safe email and then the four Emily and Karina.
0: <laughs> exactly. Be the one we want to put one on Instagram. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, All I right. mean it'll be a tame party, but I will send them to you definitely.
0: Awesome. I just awesome. want to see the costumes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what's your yeah. costume gonna be? I forgot. am gonna be Anna from Frozen. That's right. And you went like on a run as Anna from Frozen, right? Yes. And The costume's ready to go.
1: <laughs> it's one of the easier costumes, but price <laughs> the cost per wear is going down every time I put it on. So I'm I very bet excited. you're <laughs> getting right. all the value.
0: That's it. That's it. And you can follow us on Facebook at hybrid pub scout on Twitter at hybrid pub scout on Instagram at hybrid pub scout pod. Please give us a review on any of the listening platforms that you use, or just give us a five-star rating. If you do leave us a review on iTunes, however, we will read it in a funny voice. We're not getting a lot of takers on that, but you know, know. if you, (sighs) my feelings aren't hurt at all try harder people try harder I, I, if you can do your taxes you can do an itunes where's my oscar that's what i want to know That's it. Man. Um, and uh go to our website check out our blogs that we're starting to have more of um if you are part of our publishing community you have a success coming up a uh, book that's coming out a book that you edited that's coming out or a business that you're starting anything of that type then just drop us a line emily at hybridpubscout.com or corinne at hybridpubscout.com <laughs> and um, we'll try to include you in our newsletters that go out um, because we like celebrating our community victories yeah yeah you got anything else corinne i don't think so Happy
2: Halloween.
1: That's it. Um, If you want to find me, basically just go to my website, michelledeeter.com, and you can ask me any questions you want.
0: Fantastic. All right. Again, happy Halloween, everyone. Yay. Happy Halloween. (laughs) And thanks for giving a rip about books.